Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Um, you know, as a church staff, we have spent quite a bit of time over the years uh, just discovering and studying our own personality types, as well as the personality types of others on the team. And really the goal is to be self-aware. We want to know our strengths and weaknesses and tendencies and be familiar with the strengths and weaknesses and tendencies of others on our team, knowing how each other is wired. Bless you. (laughs) And the hope is that this knowledge will impact how we work with one another. We want to produce a high-functioning team that is understanding and accommodating of one another. And while we've used various tools and assessments over the years, perhaps the two most common personality assessments are the DISC profile and the Myers-Briggs personality profile. And perhaps you've taken those assessments or you're familiar with them. Now, when it comes to the DISC assessment, I am a CS. And when it comes to Myers-Briggs, I'm an ISTJ. If you have no familiarity with these tests, these are just random letters to you, and you're like, yeah, who cares? If you do have any kind of knowledge of of these tests, then now you know a little bit more about me and how you can be praying for the staff who has to work with me. Because you know that those of us who are a CS or an ISTJ, we can be a little anal and sometimes difficult to work with. Now, one thing I've known about myself for years that has only been confirmed by these personality tests is that I have a strong desire to be accurate or correct. I want to be right and I want to do things the right way. Now, (laughs) uh, to ensure accuracy, I will analyze everything. Every decision that I have to make, every situation that I'm in. And to ensure that I'm correct, once I've analyzed it, I will analyze it some more. And then some more, and probably a little bit more after that. And I will never make a decision until my wife or a staff member pushes me or nudges me to do something. I'll sit there until Jesus comes back, analyzing information Because I just want to make sure that I'm right. Now, thankfully, I know that I'm right about a number of different things. And so I've been able to avoid analysis paralysis. For example, I know that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. This is objective fact, all right? I know this to be true. I also know, despite what Pastor Chris says, that this is the correct way to hang toilet paper. All right? I know this to be true. Now, I recognize some of you might side with Pastor Chris because you have cats that unroll the toilet paper. The problem is not the toilet paper. The problem is you have cats, which I also happen to be right about. Mm. Now, whether or not you share my personality type, my hope is that we all have a strong desire to be right or to do what's right when it comes to following Jesus. And and of course, the best way for us to know and determine what's right is to read 
and study God's word. You see, for us as followers of Jesus, the Bible ought to be the ultimate authority for our lives. And you may come across a passage of scripture that you don't like, and that doesn't matter because the Bible isn't up for debate. We are called as Christians to submit our lives to scripture. And so if we want to live in obedience to God and in a way that's pleasing to him, in other words, if we want to be right, then we should always be asking, well, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? Whatever this means in your area of life or or the situation that you come across, we should be continually going back to Scripture to see how God wants us to live, think, speak, behave, treat people. That list goes on and on and on. So if we don't know what the Bible says, it's going to be pretty difficult for us to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to him. And I realize this is a very typical pastor thing to say, but we have to be reading God's word daily, right? We, we have to do this. And I realize we're all busy, but, but frankly, it, it doesn't matter. We have got to do whatever we've got to do to find time each and every day to get into God's word. Now, I realize that many of us are using digital Bibles or the Bible app these days, but check out this quote from pastor and theologian Charles Spurgeon. He said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. That's so true. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. We have to make scripture reading a top priority. Thankfully, God's word is so clear about so many different topics or areas of life. For example, it doesn't get any clearer than the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shall not murder. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not steal. What about a little bit? No, right? Like, it's just, it's, it's black and white. There's no room for like, well, can I cheat a little? Like, no, No, thou shalt not, and and it's just kind of done. And in addition to the Ten Commandments, there are so many other areas throughout Scripture as we work our way, whether Old Testament or New Testament, that brings an abundance of clarity on how we're to live our lives. So much so that we don't need to wonder and pray about and seek counsel about what we're supposed to do because the Bible has already told us. It's crystal clear. God has given us clear instructions. Now that being said, the Bible doesn't explicitly address every situation or topic that we encounter in our lives. Inevitably, we are going to encounter gray areas, meaning no passage of scripture speaks directly to the issue or the topic or decision that we're facing. In in other words, not everything is black and white. And from time to time, we're going to find ourselves in gray areas where you and I have to do our very best to determine what's right and what's wrong. As an example, let's take social media. Should we use social media? And and if we do use social media, 
How should we use it? How should we engage with social media? How much should we engage with social media? Are there aspects of social media that we should avoid altogether? Right? Because I don't know about you, I've never come across a passage in Scripture that says, thou shall or shall not use social media. Right? This is a gray area of sorts where we have to determine what's right and what's wrong. Now, like I previously mentioned, we should have a desire to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And therefore, we have to constantly ask, what does the Bible say about this? But what do we do when the Bible is not as clear as do this and don't do that? In other words, what should we do when the circumstances that we're in or the decisions before us, they're not black and white? Now, thankfully, even when things aren't expressly stated in Scripture, God provides a way for us to navigate the gray areas of life and to do so in a way that's pleasing to him. This morning, we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture that will help us determine how to navigate life's gray areas. And so I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles, which are hopefully falling apart, or navigate in your Bible apps to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And prior to reading a few verses in chapter 10, I'm going to set the stage for us by giving an overview of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But we will get to chapter 10 in just a moment. Now, 1 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul to the believers in the city of Corinth. And he addresses many topics in his letter. However, there's one particular topic that's most relevant to our discussion today. We find that in chapter 8. And, and that's where Paul talks about whether or not believers should eat the meat that has been sacrificed to an idol. And believe it or not, this topic or question would have been considered a gray area for the members, for the Christians who were part of that church. And determining the right course of action was not as simple as you and I might think it would be. Now, of course, all the believers in this church would have known that worshiping an idol is a no-no, right? That would not be allowed because Paul or excuse me God had already made that clear when when he gave the 10 commandments to Moses and the Israelites all the way back in Exodus in Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 and 4 God says you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below However, questions still remained about whether eating the meat that was sacrificed to idols was okay. And this gray area led the church in Corinth to actually write a letter to Paul. And they wanted to get his insight. They wanted to know what he had to say about this topic. So among other things, 1 Corinthians is a response to, to Paul or from Paul to their questions. Now, initially, Paul's response makes it seem like this is a black and white issue. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, it says, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. 
And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. See, his response seems to indicate that eating food that had been sacrificed to idols isn't a big deal because, as he said, an idol is nothing in all the world. And the church, the believers there, know there is only one true God. But before everybody can go grab their dinner plate and head to the buffet line, Paul addresses the topic, this factor that makes this area, this issue, a gray area for that church. In verse 7, Paul says, but not everyone knows this. Not everybody knows this. Meaning not everyone has internalized this truth or reality that idols are nothing and there is only one true God. He goes on to say, some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. You see, within the Corinthian church, there were members who had genuinely converted to Christianity. There were, there were solid, true believers within this faith community. However, a number of them had a history or background of pagan idol worship. And as part of their worship, they would consume meat that had been sacrificed to the idols. Now, for those who did not share that experience or didn't have that as part of their background, eating meat, even if it had been sacrificed to an idol, wasn't a big deal because they knew, as Paul said, that as an idol is nothing. It held no significance in their lives. But those who had participated in idol worship weren't as easily able to separate the consumption of meat from their previous worship experiences. And they wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to live a life that was pleasing to God. But the right thing, the godly thing, it just wasn't as obvious or simple to them. Now, in verse 8, Paul goes on to write, But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. In other words, food is amoral. It's neither good nor bad. However, there were good and godly people on both sides of the equation in the church at Corinth. And so while you and I, we can sit here and think, no big deal. Everyone should just do what's most comfortable for them. That philosophy doesn't necessarily work when the church gathers together. And therefore, this became a gray area. Four years ago, COVID was just ramping up in the U.S. And I have no desire to relive that season. I'm sure you all would agree. But I can't help but think of the COVID season when I read this passage of Scripture. You see, as individuals, we all had the freedom to choose our own approach to COVID. We all had the freedom to think about it and act on it in whatever way we felt was best. That is, until the church gathered together, right? Until the church 
gathered together. If I'm being real, helping our church navigate the COVID season, that gray area was not fun. That was not enjoyable. And I'm sure every other church leader would say the same thing. We were constantly asking ourselves, what are we supposed to do? How are we going to handle this? What's right? What's wrong? Should we meet in person or not? If we do meet in person, should we meet indoors or outside? It just felt like there were no clear-cut right answers. It would have been so much easier if God had included COVID in the Ten Commandments. Like, I'm just saying, like, man, if he could have made that a little bit more of a black and white issue, that would have been awesome. I kind of imagine it going something like this. And God said in the midst of a worldwide pandemic that some people will think is fake news, thou shalt take a two-week hiatus from meeting in person, three to six months if you live in California. And then... When it's time to reconvene, you will do so in the parking lot for 40 days and 40 nights. And then you will move indoors, but no longer sit within six feet of one another. God bless you, my people. Like, that would have been awesome. Like, man, it would have saved a lot of time and energy and heartache for every church everywhere. But that's not how life works, is it? And unfortunately, dealing with gray areas is an inevitable part of life. And COVID simply serves as an illustration of how we can find ourselves having to navigate gray areas, not only as individuals, but maybe even more importantly, as a church. And how do we do that, seeking to be a healthy and a unified family? We'll revisit 1 Corinthians chapter 8 in a few minutes to see how Paul instructs the Corinthians to handle the issue of food sacrifice to idols, which, believe it or not, is relevant to us as well. But first, I want us to take a look at our other primary passage this morning, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And from this passage, we are going to learn how to better navigate the gray areas of life. And so follow along as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Paul writes this, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake, the other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example, 
as I follow the example of Christ. See, from this passage, we find 10 questions that we should ask whenever we encounter a gray area in our lives. And while we may not have 100% clarity on the right move, even after asking all these questions, we'll have a much better idea of the best course of action and most importantly, a course of action that's pleasing to God. So the first question comes from verse 23. Is it beneficial? The Greek word for beneficial means to help or be profitable. In the English Standard Version of the Bible, beneficial is translated helpful. In the NASB, it's translated productive. See, when we find ourselves having to deal with a gray area, we must start by asking if it, whatever it may be, whatever circumstance, decision that's before you, will add value to our lives or the lives of those around us. And there may not be any negative consequences from moving forward. But if there's also no clear value add to your life, then it's possible you should consider a different course of action or decision. The second question also comes from verse 23. Is it constructive? The Greek word for constructive means to promote growth in Christian wisdom, affection, grace, virtue, and holiness. See, this question helps us determine whether or not the gray area will help you become more like Jesus, whether it will help you produce the spiritual fruit and qualities and characteristics that God wants us to develop throughout our lives. The third question is generated from verse 24. Is it self or others oriented? And this question causes us to pause and examine our motives. Is this gray area about helping myself or someone else? Is it about meeting my needs and wants or the needs of others? Paul addresses this topic to his letter in the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, if the gray area happens to be self-serving, if it benefits you, that, that doesn't mean you have to automatically go in a different direction. But it shouldn't be selfish or come at the expense of others' well-being. The fourth question is based on verse 25. Does it violate my conscience? See, our conscience is what helps us distinguish between what's morally good and bad, and it prompts us to do what's right and flee from what's wrong. God has given us a conscience. More importantly, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's given the Holy Spirit living in you to lead you and guide you. And we need to pay attention to our conscience and how the Holy Spirit is leading us. And if a gray area trips up your conscience, it should not be quickly dismissed. The fifth question is similar to question four, and it comes from verses 28 and 29. Does it violate another person's conscience? See, while God has given each of us a conscience, the sensitivity of each, each person's conscience is different. What's a non-issue for you may ping someone else's conscience. And in that instance, 
it's best to apply what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, to honor the other person's conscience when it comes to dealing with that particular gray area. The sixth question comes from verse 30. Can I do this with thanksgiving? In other words, if I make this decision or move forward in this scenario, will I be able to thank God, recognizing that everything comes from him? And if we're not able to do that, we should probably consider another alternative. The seventh question is generated from verse 31. Does this glorify God? Will I be able to say that God is honored or pleased by the actions I take or the decisions that I make? See, because Paul says, whatever you do, whatever, do it all. For the glory of God, meaning any action or decision we make ought to be able to glorify God. So if it doesn't glorify God, then it's no longer a gray area. It becomes a black and white issue and you shouldn't move forward. The eighth question comes from verse 32. Will this cause someone else to stumble or sin? This is a significant question for us to consider because we don't want to be responsible for leading others astray. In his book, The Post-Church Christian, Dr. Paul Nyquist writes, As believers, our liberty is limited by our love for each other. Love seeks the best for others, just as God demonstrated in his love for us. In this case, love limits our liberty in that we choose not to exercise our freedom if we know it could cause another believer to struggle in their spiritual life. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and see how Paul instructs the church to navigate the gray area of eating food that have been sacrificed to idols. And at this point, he's speaking about the freedom that believers have in Christ. And this is what he says in verses 9 through 13. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. If anyone with a weak conscience sees you, ha uh, you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. You see, the point that Paul wants us to understand is that we're to limit the liberty that we have in Jesus because of our love and concern for fellow believers. That's what it means to be a part of a church family where we put others first as we strive to pursue health and unity in alignment because we're all chasing after the same thing. At least we should be. The ninth question is from verse 33. Will this hinder my testimony as I try to reach the world for Christ? See, Paul's primary objective, his focus was to point people to Jesus. And that ought to be our primary objective and focus as well. One of our values here at LifePoint is that we intentionally influence our world for Jesus. However, if the decisions we make 
and the actions that we take hurt our testimony, then our influence will be limited, ineffective, non-existent. In other words, if the issue before you will limit your ability to point people to Jesus, then it's best not to engage. And last but not least, the 10th question comes from verse 1 of chapter 11. Is it exemplary? Do I want others to follow my example in this? You see, while Paul's words seem lofty, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, you and I need to strive to be able to say that same thing. And so if if the decision before you is not what you would recommend to others, or you wouldn't recommend that they follow in your footsteps, then it's best that you don't do it either. Because as followers of Jesus, do what I say and not what I do isn't cutting it. And the world has noticed. And so we need to ask ourselves, if people were to follow in my footsteps, will they be closer to Jesus or further from him. You see, I, I think a lot of us just want to say, well, they should avert their eyes. I'm not trying to live my life an example for other people. That's not my intention. I'm just trying to live my life and do me, okay? A little reality check for you. You don't live in isolation. You don't live in a private bubble. That's not how life works. And in fact, Jesus told us to take the exact opposite approach. Let your light shine before all people. Make an impact. Be an influencer. Point people to life in Jesus. Whether you like it or not, people are always watching. Always watching. Whether it's your kids your grandkids, nieces, nephews, or the world outside. And so the best move is to live your life in a way that if someone should choose to follow your example, they'll be better for it. See, knowing how to navigate the gray areas in life in a way that honors God is so relevant to our lives. The world we live in changes rapidly. So who knows what other gray areas we might encounter later today or down the road. But all I know is having this skill, the ability to navigate life gray areas well, is a skill we all need to possess. And as we grow in our ability to do this well, my hope is that we will be a church that builds one another up that we glorify God in the way that we live our lives and that we set a Christ-like example for everybody else to follow. Let's be that church. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.